this is really one of the more important sections now of your online marketing plans. You've got the platform, you've got your website all put together, now what do you do with it? Now what do you put on there? Uh, what do you write? Where do you put it? How do you deliver it? And so on. A year ago, SEO, search engine optimization, on site, all the little keyword research and everything, that was the big thing. And you, we'd spend 40 hours on a new client uh, researching content uh, keywords for them. Now it's, it's a little less important because as I mentioned earlier, Google is now paying more attention to the intent behind the search. But content is king. You can have a somewhat substandard uh, website technology-wise, design-wise. Here's one of the weird things. Some of the most successful websites I have ever seen are also the ugliest. You know, courier font. Those of you who are old enough to remember courier font on the old typewriters and no pictures and dense text like I was telling you not to do and red and blue and black fonts and just horrible from a, a standardized user experience but yet they are the most successful because the information that they have on them is something that the people that their visitors want and are willing to pay for so content if you have to if there's only one area that you can focus on, content is probably your best bet. Your content needs to be fresh. This goes back to what I was saying this morning. Don't put your website up and then walk away from it thinking you're done. Google looks at how old is the information on your site. When did you change it? Did you put a blog post up this morning? Did you change a headline yesterday? Um, or has it been sitting there for six months? I've worked on any number of websites, get all this research in and, and the keyword research and all the time spent writing and everything, and we'll see the website traffic shoot up. I mean, you can, you can look on the analytics graph and it goes like this. You can tell Google has been watching the site. We're adding new stuff to it every day. People start coming, they find it, and the, it, it becomes kind of a loop where we're working on it, Google starts raising it in the rank uh, search engine position, positionings, and that brings in more visitors. More people are finding it, and it'll just keep climbing, and then we turn this, the website over to the client. Okay, it's yours now. We finished our contract. And you can watch the graph, it just goes like that. Within three months, they can be back to where they were before we started working on it, because they stopped working on the site. They quit adding new content. So fresh content is one of the more important. It doesn't have to be, you're not writing war and peace. You're not writing a, for a Pulitzer Prize. You're writing for information that your market wants to see that, that answers their, their burning questions. So it needs to be fresh. It needs to be unique. It shouldn't be what I just put on my website. If you, want, if you see that I put something on my website that you really like, Go ahead and write something similar, but you know, make it make it yours because Google will look at the content on two different websites, and if it's the same words in the same order copied, then Google will say, "Well, this site over here had it first, so this must be the original site, and this one will not even be shown in the rankings." If you 
have ever done a Google search and you notice at the bottom it says, in order to provide you with the most relevant results, we have not shown you some listings. Click here, see, those were most likely duplicate content. And so they weren't even shown in the search results. So make sure your content's unique. Make sure it's relevant. If you're doing a market garden, it probably isn't going to be a good idea to write an article about how to repair a walking tractor. Your CSA members really don't care how you fixed your walking tractor. Um, they don't care about any of that other stuff. They want to know, what do they want to know? Yeah, CSA information. What are you growing? When can I have it? How much is it going to cost me? What do I do with it now that I've got it? We were talking about rutabagas earlier. <laughs> Are, you know, how do I eat this stuff? I'm, I'm doing, the, doing the local produce, now what do I do with it? This is the kind of stuff that your, your CSA subscribers are going to want to know. They don't care about your, your tractor. So fresh, unique, and relevant content is what you need to uh, be adding to your site on a regular basis. Just like a magazine, though, or any regular publication, you should plan and structure it before you actually start writing it and posting it. Know what you're writing, know why you're writing it, know who you're writing it for, because otherwise you are probably wasting your efforts. So, there's a, a concept, a couple of concepts that you should know as you're looking at your content marketing. Inbound versus outbound marketing. Outbound marketing is where, please buy my stuff. Hi, this is Dave. I got your name off of the phone list. Can, you, can I set up an appointment for, you know, to talk to you about my, my market garden? Outbound, coming out from my business, out to you, trying to grab you and, and get you to come in or push you in. Inbound mar marketing is the opposite. You're putting stuff out there, but you're attracting. Everybody who comes to your, not everybody who comes to your website is there for the same reason. And neither are they in the same stage of the buyer's journey. And we'll, we'll cover the buyer's journey in, in a little more detail in a moment, but this, this covers, it gives you a good idea. Your method should be to attract, and you start with strangers. You attract the strangers to your website they become visitors once they've come to your website. You convert them into leads. Close the leads, now they become customers. And now once they're customers, you want to delight them. You want to keep them happy, nurture them, keep them close because it costs a lot more to get a new customer than it does to resell an old customer. And then they become promoters. They become ambassadors for your, your uh, product, your service whatever it is. These are some of the different types of content that are used at different stages along this process. Does everybody know what a blog is? It's, it's a, one of those real, really weird internet words. It's short for web log. Back in so around 2000 or so, somebody came up with this weird idea that, that they wanted journaling software so that they could do a daily journal and post it on the web page without having to create an HTML web page all the time. And this is how WordPress was born in that process. 
blogs turned into what we were talking about this morning with the, the WordPress uh, customization. It's now it's a content management system. But a blog, too many people try to use it like what I ate for lunch today. Nobody cares. It should be, think of it as, as a way of distributing short to medium length articles. You can even do long articles if you want. 500 words, 1,000 words, 2,000 words. Uh, Google seems to give preference to 2,000 word articles. Uh, if there's ever any preference for length issues, they, they like the longer articles for some reason. But you write, write these articles, and this is where you can have fresh content several times a day, daily, weekly, however often it is, but a regular basis. Articles that talk about what's going on on the farm, what's going on in the wood shop, uh, new products coming in. The keywords, uh, again, that's changing now to where you want to own your topic rather than trying to focus solely on a keyword. So if you have a wood shop, you need to be talking about the, the woodworking process and the products that you're pulling out, that you're creating. If you have a farm, you want to be talking about the farming process and this, telling the story through series of short, short articles. Uh, we talked about telling the story this morning. This is where you're going to do most of it. You went to a seminar and learned something new that's going to make your sweet potatoes taste better this year. Blog article. Yes. Remember the the farm site that we were looking at this morning, and it had the recipes, and then tucked in between those recipes, there was one little article that looked like it was about sustainable farming, farming without pesticides or something. I forget the title. That was a blog format. Yes. There's a, sp a specific section of the website that is for the posts and I'll show you one remind me and I'll show you one on our website in a moment yes ma'am so these vary by age because all the young people I know say short 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 sweet I don't don't pay attention to everything you hear it depends on what the purpose is yes they they don't always want to read the long ones but Google still will give if you want to to improve your search engine rankings you know, positioning on, and, and people have been saying this for years, and it's an age-old argument from, I don't know, the 1920s or something, long copy versus short copy. Copy should be as long as it needs to be, no longer, no shorter. People will read long, long articles if it's relevant and interesting to them. If it's not, they won't. They won't spend 10 seconds on it. So, but yes, there is a place for the short and there is a place for the long. It's, it depends on your purpose. It's the easiest way to 
distribute content on your website without having to go and change a, a major page. It's the easiest way to get the short articles in there. Um, for me, there's two primary purposes for writing something to post in there. One is search engine optimization. I want this article to show up in the search engine so that when you are searching for my topic, that hopefully this shows up high in the rankings. The other is for social sharing, something that you're going to share, you're gonna see it, and you're gonna share it on Facebook. Or maybe I share it on Facebook, but it still lives on my, my website. So while there may not be as much traffic just coming to the blog, a lot of traffic comes to the blog from social media. I mean, they may not come from the search engines necessarily but they will come from social media, from sharing, because every time you share that article, people are going to the website to read it. To me, it seems pretty critical, but I can I imagine that there would be cases where maybe you didn't necessarily need it. It just depends on, do you have enough strangers coming to your, to your website? And most people don't believe they have enough strangers coming to their website, so. It does not have to be every day. It should be somewhat regular. If you publish once a month, say Google comes through and, and the algorithms are going to catch that. Ah, he publishes once a month, so we should start seeing another article here in about 10 days. You miss that, and the algorithm's gonna make note of that and say, huh, maybe he's not working his site as much as, and so it'll start slipping a little bit. Visitors. You want to take your visitors and you want to convert them into leads. And how you do that is through the forms. Remember the forms that we saw on that farm website? There were, what, three or four different kinds of forms. There was one for somebody to, to sign up for the CSA to subscribe. There was a form for a restaurant owner or a chef to sign up or to ask for more information about fresh produce. And then there was the general contact form. So there were several different forms for different purposes rather than a, a single form to do everything. The calls to action are one of the most, out of all of, the, all of the other most important things that we've talked about so far, this is a very important element. Everything that you write should have some kind of call to action. Even if it's sign up for our email, sign up to our email list, so that we can send you more stuff. Um, call us, come in, email us, ask us, or go to this link and, and download our fresh sheet. Some kind of call to action. And a landing page is a page that we can also call a squeeze page because all of the navigational elements, you remember these others, sites that we looked at, they had that navigation bar right along the top with different pages that you could go to. A landing page or a squeeze page has all those removed. You can do two things and that's it. So you're squeezed into a decision. You land on this page, there's a little bit of copy that says, uh, that has the call to action and you can either sign up for the email newsletter or you can leave the site. Or you can sign, you can exchange your your email for a free ebook of recipes, you know, the, of things that you're going to be growing. There's all kinds of things that landing pages can be done. But 
the point is that they are converting visitors into leads of some kind. They don't make the sale, they just are converting the person over to a lead. Once you have the lead, this, this particular graphic was done for a business environment. Uh, the CRM is customer, yeah, it's, it's an address book. It moves the person through the, the sales process so that I can, I capture your email information and then I can, I, next time, when I have the next conversation, maybe I capture your phone number and so I add it into the CRM and I can mark there where you are in the sales process. I'm not sure that it's something that you would use so much on a farm or a business, but if you want to, everybody should be tracking what's happening with their leads. And so if you are looking at that, I would suggest looking at HubSpot. They have a free module for that, and I think it's called HubSpot Sales. But it's a, a free uh, module that lets you track your leads through the sales process. Once you have your customers, a workflow is, don't ask me why it's in there because I'm not real sure, it's a process. It had to do with this particular presentation and this particular graphic, but it's a, a process where we take a lead and maybe the workflow is that you call them and follow up and say, hey, I noticed that you, you signed up on our website for a free tour of our software. Um, can we do that right now? So it's, a, it's a, like a sales process flow. And instead of going in there and erasing that, I just chose to leave this, leave this in there. Once you have a customer, and this is something we were talking about after the last class, surveys. Don't just assume that you've got your customers forever and that you don't need to follow up with them or contact them. You need to be asking them. So how did we do on this last box of, of produce? How did we do in, in delivering that rocking chair? Were you happy with it? What could we have done better? There's a whole number of types of questions that you can be asking. It gets uncomfortable sometimes because you're asking them, you know, what did we do right and what did we not do right? They, you will get better answers that way. Unless you've developed a really good relationship with the person, you know, somebody say that comes to your, you got a, maybe you've got a produce stand and somebody's there very regularly. You've, you've got a good talking relationship. So let me ask you, how, how are things, how are we doing? If, if we could do something better, what would you suggest that we do? And then pay attention to it, because when you get those answers, you know, that's gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And and here's another. Yeah. So so what happens if you make the assumption? Oh, everybody everybody's like me, and they want the watermelon to last all week. And you've grown ten acres of this stuff, and nobody wants it. Now what do you? You're going to sell an awful lot of melon balls. So. About this, about this much, a small percentage will. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a. There was kind of a rule of thumb in in brick and mortar business. You'll hear from one person when things go wrong, and you better assume that there's at least a hundred out there that feel just the same way. Because most people will not respond to or tell you, they'll not take the initiative. So if one person complains, well, you better pay attention. You also are more likely to hear from the negative is to limit the start of the mm -hmm. Our conference president, Peter Pettis, every single day, gets 700 times the time. My goal is to give some kind of positive message to every church leader, every church leader, every church leader. And that's, that's not a bad way to look at life in general. Most of us hear a lot more negative than we hear positive. So, um, I was talking to Sean, right? Sean and I were talking a bit about this after the, the morning session. There's another way, another thing that you should be paying attention to as you are learning, as you're asking these questions. Your customers, your clients are not a homogenous mass. You might find that half of your customer base wants those larger watermelons and half of it wants the smaller ones. Well, if you don't know that, you can't plan accordingly. You might have designed this wonderful heirloom-style rocking chair and find that nobody has room, none of the people who are buying from you currently have room in their house for a rocking chair. Um, you, you might find that there are segments. Maybe you've got people that, that really would prefer just to stick to to microgreens and, and some little stuff, and these guys over here want the, well, we're talking about the steak and potatoes guy, you know, that he doesn't want anything fancy, doesn't want anything to, to jar his taste buds, he just wants his, give me my produce, and, and let's leave it at that. This. Mm -hmm. And the only way you do get that is by paying attention to feedback and soliciting the feedback. And yes, you're right that a lot of times you won't get a, a huge response. You might uh, you might ask a thousand people and get ten responses, but the people who take the time to respond generally can give you good information. Generally, not always. Smart content is beyond the, the scope of most of you. This is, is something where uh, if you clicked, if you just finished reading 
page X, I'm going to pop up a little recommendation that says you should read page B as well. And it, it goes beyond the little plugins that you've seen on sites where it says recommended comment or content, or you might also want to read. This is, this is stuff that rec makes recommendations or serves up content, or you, know, you, just read, you just read this page, so we're gonna send you an email about something related. It, smart content is starting to get beyond what most people in this room are going to want to fuss with, and you don't need to because most of you are dealing with local audiences and don't need to fuss with it. Social monitoring, you should be paying attention, even though you're local oriented, most of you, you should be paying attention, uh, have alerts set up so that if somebody mentions you on social media, that you know about it, because there have been any number of businesses that have had significant setbacks or failures because they didn't pay attention to what was being said about them on social media. So, uh, Again, you're probably not in the, in the position where you have to worry about that too much, but it's always good to know what your customers are saying, even if they're saying it behind your back. You should be analyzing. You should be paying attention. Again, with local business, this is not rocket science. It's a matter of paying attention, looking at the numbers, paying attention to Google Analytics, uh, reports of activity on your website, and uh, we don't need to go into great detail about that. So, best practices for this inbound stuff and content marketing. You see all four of them right there. Let's start with buyer personas. Again, your market is not homogenous. Not everybody's the same. So you need to, and before you start cranking out blog posts or emails or social media posts, Facebook stuff, you need to know who are you focusing on. And so the, the practice now is we create buyer personas. So that means I look at who's coming to my, who's subscribing to my CSA. Not that I have one. Just for those of you that weren't here this morning, I don't have a working farm. But I, I'm trying to use the examples that would make sense in this context. I look at the subscribers who are coming to my CSA, and let's say I have 40 of them. And I see that here's a group of, it looks like soccer moms, that, that you might call them soccer moms. These are probably women in their 30s or 40s. They've got several kids. They come to the farm in their minivan, and they pick up their subscription, and they are maybe maybe a little higher educated. Maybe the maybe it's a a Lincoln minivan. Maybe it's a, an Escalade or something. You know, something higher end. Maybe this is a family, a, a grouping of families that has a little higher income. And then over here, you've got the family that it's you know they're driving up in their old pickup truck and and you know, they're not quite as affluent. Two completely different segments of market. They're both buying from you. Maybe this family with the pickup truck is only getting a half a subscription. Maybe they're getting half a box instead of the full one that these guys are getting. Get to know these different segments. So what we do is we create a persona. 
So over here we've got the sucker mom driving the nice minivan, and so we start learning everything we can about her and the group that she represents. And over here we have this one, we, we start doing the same thing, collecting information. And I'll go into just a little bit more in a minute. There's a buyer's journey. Again, not everybody hits your website, knows, or is in the same process. Some are just looking for information. Some are ready to take action right now. So you have to have your content on the page targeted to these different points in the buyer's journey. Remarkable content, uh, you know, you want it to be something that people go, wow, I didn't know that. Cool, I can use that. Cool, my friend John needs to know this. I'm going to click and share it on his Facebook page. Remarkable content. It takes work. It's not all that easy to do, but it's, uh, it's something to be strive, striving for constantly. And then leverage your content. Look for ways to use it more than once. Put it on Facebook. Turn, turn a group of blog posts. If you discover that this spring you did a, a whole group of recipes on, I don't know, cold soups or something, put them together into an ebook. Offer it on your website. Repurpose the content. Make it do the job more than once. All right. Buyer personas, semi-fictional representations of your ideal customer based on real data and some speculation about their demographics, their behavior patterns, their motivations, and their goals. Actual research, not assumptions. Don't just assume that you know. Ask questions and so on. Um, in a business a company, corporate uh, type of situation, this is what we'd be asking. What's the role of the person? What's their job title? What, what's the, what do they do? What industry? What are they trying to accomplish? Why are they coming to your farm? What's the purpose? Are they wanting to grow local? Are they wanting to eat local? Are they wanting to eat healthy? Are they wanting to eat local and healthy? Maybe they just don't like the local Walmart produce section. I, I don't know. You, you need to find out. What's the biggest challenges? And that is, what are your biggest challenges in the context of your goals here? What's keeping you from accomplishing those goals in this context? How do you find out? How do your people find out about local produce options? Any way you can find it out. So yes, either, either or. A lot of this you're not going to find by looking it up. A lot of it you're going to have to get by asking, striking up conversations with people. The surveys, you may have to get on the phone and say, hey, I noticed you, you, you signed up. How did you hear about us? Did somebody tell you about us? Did you see our, you know, did we show up in a Google search? Um, this is a, typically a, a, an involved process and you get your information from as many places as you can. Interview your current customers. Figure out who they are. What, you know, what are their responses to these questions? If you do it right, people will respond. You know, I would think, for me, I'm, a, I'm an introvert. I hate those probing questions. But yet, it's surprising how many people are willing to share 
if you show an interest in them. In your case, yes. You don't have much weight. Why? What was it? Yeah. You say something like, that's really interesting. That book has been out of print, and I, that's just not the thing that I would expect most people to be. Most, can you tell me why? I'm curious. Uh, you know, genuine interest in, not because, oh, now I'm going to use yeah. it to sell more money, but it's a genuine interest. Why? Help me, help me understand this so that I can do an even better job. And then you use this information to start creating your buyer persona. And again, here's another, uh, we, we actually create very involved dossiers. Character development. For you, it's character development. For us, it's market research. <laughs> so you wanna know, you wanna know as much information about their, about their life as you can within the context of what you're, you're offering. Um, gender, age range, household income, are they two-income family? If they are two-income family, maybe you can sell them more produce. Maybe you can position something a little higher, higher positioning, a, like a, a, a premier product, something that's higher ticket. And, by the way, consider those minutes and now see then that's It's also one of the most important block things in life that my personal opinion would be is the practice of doing it. And at the very least, I can type my produce to the local food bank, but what I would very much like, and I'm not yet to achieve, would be like to find a family or two that is struggling in my area that are willing to come and help me mm -hmm. in my garden. I'm not hiding from my garden. My garden is having to some more. But if they'll come and help me, they can come to some of the food because I need help and I'm going to put it up there. I really need help mm -hmm. with somebody to come and their, their kids and they are going to learn some things about gardening and that that may be what's stopping them. Well, I come and help, but I don't know what to do with food. Yeah. And the same thing in our building, too. It's like a lot of, I wish I could have people believe in it because of the way this information out. We live here. Mm -hmm. We can't physically do it. So yeah. we need to get more systems working. And I do worry some about the 
So, so if you've got your buyer personas, you've got maybe you notice you've got the the higher income folks over here. They're the ones that you can you can ask. Would you be interested in chipping in an extra five dollars? You know, you don't ask the the family in the pickup, but you've got a segment over here that you know is more affluent. Would you be interested in chipping in so that we can provide a little extra? Mm -hmm. For every five dollars you you donate, we'll we'll match it with an additional five dollars worth. It's on the giving end that it gets worse. Having the family take it in the pickup and the when you're hungry, you go to Dixon on Sunday and groceries, you go every day of It is. So the wants to pick up. You don't say, oh, because these people are matching here, you for cheaper. No. All right. Challenges. What's in the way of them achieving their goals? What's in the way of them achieving their goal of eating local? Well, good suppliers, maybe. Maybe variety is an issue. How can you help? Maybe you're going to uncover a challenge there that's, that fits in the context of, of your garden or your farm that you didn't know about. Huh, we can help with that. Common objections. Again, in the CSA context, why are you? Why did you decide not to? You know, it's it's not the end. Of, it's not the end of the world. It doesn't hurt my feelings if you choose to not subscribe. But can you help me understand why you didn't, so that I can do a better job? Did I did I not do something the right way? Did I was I not clear about the benefits? You know, and, and these are these are some questions that can be kind of hard to ask. You can't just do this with just anybody. You've got to, you know, it, it takes some work, some effort. Those, those people are gold. Okay, here's an example uh, of an HR human resource person. So they put together a persona and so you can see the information, amount of information that they've got in here. This was done for a company that, that helps, that brings in new technologies to human resource departments. And so, you know, you can see the, the issues within that context on this persona. You can have as many as you need for your market, to cover your market. But don't not market or not do any of this stuff because you don't have personas put together. That's something to just do over time. All right, the buyer's journey. The awareness stage, the consideration stage, and the decision stage. You will see different uh, characterizations of this journey, but this covers the basic idea. So here's an example. I have a sore throat, fever, and I'm achy all over. What's wrong with me? Okay, there's an awareness. Hey, something's not right. Something's going wrong. Awareness is building of a problem. The consideration, ah, I got strep throat. Ah, what are, the, what are my options? Can I cure it? Or can I relieve the symptoms somehow? And then the decision stage. Ah, here's what I can do. I can go see the primary care. I can go to the ER. 
um, here's the cost considerations, and so on. At each point in this decision, in, in this journey, people need different kinds of content. In this awareness stage, they're going to be searching based on symptoms. I got a sore throat. Sore throat, achy all over, fever, and looking to see what kind of results they get. When they reach the consideration stage, they're going to be typing in treat strep throat. How do I treat strep throat? In the decision stage, it's going to be where's the doctor's, what's the doctor's office hours? And they're going to be looking for different answers at different points in this. Your job is to figure out what your people are asking and then provide that information on your website. All right. This is probably one of the most important things in the idea of marketing. I, I gotta quit saying that because it's, it's, <laughs> it's getting out of hand. This is not about you and how long you've been in business or how many acres you're farming or how many different kinds of wood you have in your shop. This is about educating your market about their problems and the solutions that you offer to those problems. So you need to be educating, and go back to our CSA example, you need to be educating them about CSA-related issues. Why eat locally? Why, why eat rutabagas? Why do any of this stuff? Because, and then you offer the solution. Here's the reason why. It's not about me, it's about you. And it's only about me and that how I can help you. So if you can keep that foremost in your mind as you're creating any kind of marketing, you will be way ahead of most of your competition because I can guarantee you that if you look at your competition's websites, most of them are going to say start out by saying, welcome, to my wonderful website, my wonderful little product, and how great we are. We've been in business for so many years. Nobody cares. There's a, a um, you probably know this, there's a, a template of stories called, of, of a storyline called The Hero's Journey. It goes back to the dawn of time, Epic of Gilgamesh, and all these old, old stories. Every myth follows the hero, some variation of the hero's journey. All of the movies that are tend to be blockbusters follow some version of the hero's journey. Including the story of Jesus, oddly enough. There are elements. This is a universal story. The hero, usually it's some kind of reluctant hero. He gets yanked into some kind of quest and runs into all kinds of problems in fulfilling this quest. And then they finally win against all odds. And that's just a really, really short, condensed version. It's, it can get really complex. Too often in our marketing, we present ourselves as the hero. Here I am. I'm the great business solution to every need that you ever had. But you have to remember that the person who's reading your website, they're the hero in their own story. Everybody's living their own little story. They're the hero. 
you want to make your visitor, your customer, the hero. You happen to be the guide or somebody in their story who's providing a solution to them. If you can do that in your marketing, you will stand out. You don't even have to have good grammar. If you can do this, you will beat your competition almost guaranteed. So, do we have any questions about that section? What's the application? It's a mindset. It starts as a mindset. Make the other person the hero. And the idea is that it comes out in all of your interactions. If you have a, a, an interaction with somebody at a produce stand, they're the hero in their own story. Do what you can to foster that rather than how great we are. It's, it's a little bit like uh, servant leadership. It follows this a little bit, you know, servanthood, uh, serving others. Make them the hero. And then it will show up in your writing. It'll show up in your pricing, uh, your interactions with everybody. Yeah. Your stories, as you say, are more stories that are about things, not so much yourself, but something that they truly mean to you. Yes, although don't, don't not tell your story. Your story about your farm and how you got there. Just make sure that that is not the central focus of your site. In other words, don't have your home page there about, about you. There's an about you page and that's an appropriate spot for that. Um, but the more you can focus on them, their desires, their cares, their the obstacles and challenges that they face, that's, that's what they want to hear. You know, there's, there's the story of the, of the guy that uh, after, the, after quite a long conversation, the other person said, boy, he's the most fascinating person I've ever met in my life. And the other guy didn't say two words. All he did was listen to the, other, to the, to the one person. Listening and making the other person a hero, there's just not enough of that in, in our existence. And so when you do it genuinely, it makes a massive difference in not only in your, your sales, but in how you are able to relate to the people and it will make a difference in your witnessing as well. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.